Welcome back into We're Talking. Uh, today, again, we're talking baseball, Sunbelt Conference baseball with Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Danny, let's talk about some individual stuff. We've already talked about Sheffield, Rockefeller, and some of the other guys, but uh, you keep bringing up a freshman name, and we see our freshman, Kyle DeBarge, who I think is a pretty damn good player. Probably Very doesn't good. have the battering average that some of maybe some of the other ones do right now. But in your mind, who's the, who's the freshman of the year? The one that I saw earlier this year, and I, Dale and Pena for Texas State is really good. He had some defensive problems earlier this year, and it was a little bit glaring because at first base, you don't think of having a whole lot of errors. But then the number, I think it was nine when it was – this was the first week of April too. But he's – He's got an advanced approach at the plate. He hits with power. He hits with power to all fields. He had an opposite field home run against Georgia Southern in that series in San Marcos. I was impressed by DeBarge. But one thing that Jay and Brad brought up yesterday, because you've got the COVID period and a lot of guys in fourth, fifth, even sixth years, you're not seeing a whole lot of freshmen. You're seeing a lot of newcomers, but you're not seeing a whole lot of freshmen because they're just on a whole lot of spots to get guys out of high school opportunities to go. Those would be the two that I would probably put towards the top of the list. But for me, if there was a freshman of the year, I'd say Dale and Pena for Texas State. Fair enough. Fair enough. Did Coastal have anyone that you can remember? Freshman? Oh. So I got, got my Colin Lacey book. Got your Colin Lacey book. Excellent. Looking forward to seeing Colin, unfortunately, in Montgomery. Oh, no, I mean, fortunately, in uh, Montgomery. Yeah, with Coastal, it's it's a lot of newcomers. They got a couple of transfers, but it's... okay, good enough. Just thought I'd. Um, Will Turner is a freshman for South Alabama. You guys saw them at the early start of conference play. Play center field, really good defender, good approach, left-handed batter. I think he's somebody that's going to be really good. I wouldn't put him freshman of the year, but very good okay. freshman. Fair enough. I'll have to look that up and uh, do some little comparison. I know uh, votes were supposed to be in today. It's supposed to be announced tomorrow. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see uh, because, as you said, Brad and Top were talking uh, – Brad and Top. Uh, Jay and Top were talking about it, and I hadn't really thought about it all year long um, because just uh, – I guess you don't think of freshman of the year. I knew Rocco with, with, uh, with possibly the player of the year. Pitching-wise, who do you think is the top pitcher in the league? That's, that's one that could go – a few different ways because I was impressed by Reed Van Scooter for Coastal. Uh, Michael Norris got the best DRA in the league. Levi Wells is a sub three guy for Texas State. I mean, Ty Fisher's up to third in the league in ERA for Georgia Southern. Tristan Dixon leads the league in wins out of the bullpen. He's eight and no. Van Scooter leads everybody at nine and two. And seeing how the Sun Belt usually values pitching victories, if I were to guess, I would say Van Scooter is going to win it. But that's probably, it reminds me back to 2019, where a lot of people in the league thought Seth Schumann for Georgia Southern was going to win it, but it ends up going to Connor Reich for Texas State. He was their number three starter that year, but because of the win loss record, yeah. that's what people looked at. And that's what won him pitcher of the year. But anybody that saw Schumann throw, would probably have said it was his to win that year. And even last year, you could have said, oh, Carlos Tavera had the best stuff. Maybe uh, Connor Angel for – or Connor Cook, I'm sorry, for yeah. for Louisiana would have been in that thought. But it ends up going to Hayden Arnold. 
because of the one loss record. So it, it, it's almost like it's it's a lot more stat driven than it is eye test driven. If you haven't seen everybody, totally agree, and that's how most of them vote. Um, I'm I'm curious to how many of the coaches actually vote on this versus the SIDs, and we we no need to get into that. That's probably unless you want to, but I'm not going there. So, um. Senior weekend this weekend around, well, the last two weekends for all the Sunbelt teams, whether you were at home or away, uh, you know, we were, we were away and I got to see Texas State's guys. Anybody stood out on yours, though? How many guys did you have senior weekend, though? We had nine total seniors, eight active players, and our bullpen catcher was also honored because he's been a part of the program for the last four years. Okay. Cajuns went and... Uh, Ooh, I think there were seven. We had one grad transfer. The rest, uh, I think it was six of them uh, had were either uh, six of them were recruited by Coach Robe. Only two of them played for him, and then our bullpen pet catcher as well uh, went that way. Uh, you know, I, I know you know Tim Perrin, yeah. uh, Austin's dad. <laughs> oh, if, yeah. if you ever been to a game, you, you can't miss him. Love him, Austin. Austin graduated last year. Uh, this was uh, him and Jacob Schultz are the two leftovers from Coach Robe that played for Coach Robe. So very emotional day for the fans. And uh, just, you know, Austin has – both Austin and Jacob have been team players and uh, just want to give them both a shout-out. Austin came on late, and I'm glad it was one of those things that it wasn't the last weekend that Austin got to pitch because it was senior weekend and he pitched well. Austin has been pitching well, you know, in limited roles. So what senior day does and this, I don't know if this is for everybody else, but at least for us, we automatically think back to when they first got here. And especially now when you've got guys sticking around for five years, you get that extra year with them and you get to, you get to know them a little bit more, see how they change, how their bodies change, how their personalities change, how they're different on the field. And then you go the grad transfer route for Georgia Southern. It's a guy like Danny Madden, who's a sixth year senior. It's his fourth different college. He had Tommy John surgery. He missed two separate years coming down from Towson. He actually pitched for Towson at J.I. Clement stadium in 2021, but now he comes to Statesboro for his sixth year was in the weekend rotation for a while, has really flourished out of the bullpen. You would have liked to have seen what else you could have gotten, but at the same time, you know it's going to be the only year you get him. So whatever you see for those couple of months, that's the memory that you have of a grad transfer. And the memories are a little bit different from an Avant, a Swan, a Thompson, a Cersei, guys that have been here for five full years. In the case of Colin and I, we've seen them from day one we've seen austin thompson be a starting shortstop for five years we've seen christian avant develop into one of the league's best right fielders from a defensive standpoint jason swan has taken hold at first base pretty much since day one and and for somebody like noah cersei who wasn't a regular until this year and he hasn't been in the lineup much lately because parker beatier has come back from injury but for cersei somebody that stuck around for an extra year really had a chance to stake his claim to left field had a forehead game at Appalachian State. He was Georgia Southern's best hitter for, I'd say, the first two months of the season. But you, you love to see the game reward guys who stick it out and do it the right way. And fortunately, we've been able to have quite a few of those. 
you know, you're brought in the grad transfer and some of them, um, some of them, you know, like are that are, are that starting pitcher guy or is come in and play first base or shortstop, whatever, whatever position in the field. You know, we had a, a young man that uh, only played in seven games, but he was brought in specifically to uh, back up Julian Brock as a catcher. Yeah. Knew he wasn't going to get a lot of playing mm-hmm. time, but uh, was able to uh, to come in and parlay that into, you know, started three games, got to start on senior day, which I absolutely love. Yeah. I believe caught behind the plate six innings. But I think – now, I wish he – don't get me wrong. I wish he had got a hit earlier. But coming into the game, he had 12 at-bats and was 0 for 12 and got a hit. His first is bat on senior day. And that – Love Austin Perrin, love Jacob Schultz, um, love what they meant to this program. Both of them pitched outstanding during the weekend and during the year. But Austin Garrett coming in for the Cajuns and, and getting two at-bats and getting, getting I'll say, he went 500 on senior day. <laughs> here's, here's what I'll say. If you are somebody, in, especially now in the day of NIL, the transfer portal and – very few guys sticking it out at a place where they want to start their career. If you are a four or fifth year senior and you have a chance to make it to your senior day, you have every right to make a memory. Yeah. Every right to make that day yours and make a memory because that just does not exist in this game and in this society anymore. And that's why I love stories like that. And I was listening when Austin Garrett got that hit and it was just, I knew he was 0 for 12. I knew Jay and Top have talked about him all year. And to have him get that moment, that one little blip in time that's his, that's why you do it. Well, shout out to Austin. And uh, and I think this is a good time to take a break. Probably need a few Kleenexes. I know I need one, uh, especially when we're talking about uh, Jacob Schultz and uh, Austin Perrin. Uh, two outstanding, all of them. Uh, uh, I just one more shout out. I, I know I wasn't going to do it, but uh, and I'm gonna probably forget somebody that's going to drive me nuts. But uh, Jonathan Brandon, Jeff Wilson, Brandon Talley, I believe I've got everybody that's six. Am I missing one there? That's all of them. Thank you. Uh, we've got some guys I know it, it, it in, the, in the days of COVID and all that. I mean, you don't know who's going to be there, uh, and you mentioned it. Uh, the, 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 the transfer report and all that. Um, it's part Connor of Kimball. It's there now. Yeah. It, it's there. And it's there to say Connor Kimball was a guy actually, I, 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 I was done, but I'm not done before we take a break. Spoke with Connor Kimball after the game. And I said, I said, I know you were recruited by Robe, but you know, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what, you know, when, why did you still decide to come? He said he was on campus when Coach Rowe, uh, he was here for summer school. He came down early, was here to settle in and everything. And when Coach Rowe went into the hospital and everything and decided to stick it out and stay here after Coach Rowe passed away, and uh, one of the guys, and shout out to Connor, Connor Kimball, uh, didn't know it. I'm, a lot of people know that I'm at back surgery here at the end of this season. You know, it's been a long baseball season for me, so I need back surgery. But Connor Kimball had a similar surgery to what I'm having and as, uh, goes to therapy and everything. So for him to do what he's done this year 
huge shout out to him and to come from Wisconsin. Not that not that there's anything bad about, but to come so far away from home to play baseball and your parents not to be able to watch you every every game. Shoot, huge shout out to him too. Well, so. you've got thankfully we've got the deal with ESPN Plus now, and in your guys' case, having Dan calling at most every game, there the the Kempels and every other family are in pretty good hands in that in, in that in that perspective. So thank you to all of our seniors, and I'm sorry I didn't mention Connor earlier, but we're going to take our break. We're going to come back, come back and talk. If I can say two words in a row, that would be nice. Stop making faces at me, Danny. We will come back and we will talk Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And at this point, I am going to find my glass of water. So we'll be right back after this quick time. Welcome back into We're Talking with Craig Malasa and Danny Reed. And we're talking baseball. Danny, Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Uh, we've talked about it off and on uh, today and in the past, but App State Little Rock. Does Little Rock come out and throw Hayden Arnold? <laughs> See, part of me says they almost have to. But the other part of me says that they should be able to outscore App because App starting pitching has struggled lately and not really not just lately for a while. So if they could find a way to get by with maybe a midweek arm, then maybe you save Arnold for, in that case, it would be for a matchup probably against Georgia Southern. So... Actually, isn't it the highest highest seed plays the? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. I guess they would get the. I guess they would get Texas State, but no, no, no. You, you're right. Unless ULM plays, I'm sorry. Unless ULM wins, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, if, if, you, if ULM wins, they automatically get Texas State. Yeah, yeah. I'm State sorry. You're correct. I'm, this higher, lower, and which one? But it's but see that game is first, so we we wouldn't know yet. If seven yeah. wins, you would know. If ten wins, you would know. But yeah. You, you would like to think with that offense, they'd be able to get by. But if they can't pitch, it may not matter. And I know that that's probably talking in circles. No, no, no. But that, that's exactly what Little Rock is trying to decide. If they go Arnold on Tuesday, if they make a run, they could get him back. But if you don't use him, you have to end your season knowing that your best pitcher never threw. That, and that's and that's but I, I'm okay with that in my opinion. I like the fact that if you use him and you can jump on App State, you might be able to rest him and bring him back later in the week. But at the same time, it's but you can't know you can't know that though. Yeah, there's no way to know it. Right, but I have no I have no issue with him in, in their case. To me, everybody that's in 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 that in in, in the, the the first day of the tournament, if you don't win the first day, it it doesn't matter. But at the same time, are you in it to win the first day? Are you in it to win this win the tournament? If you're in single elimination, you're in it to win the first day because you don't have another day where you can bounce back. Okay, but using Let's say Arnold comes out and pitches a, a no hitter and goes nine innings against App State. Then your Hoss Brewer against whoever you're facing in game two, and then you've got two games that you need 
to at least play, not win, but you're playing two games. So you go from there. Okay. That's what four teams on Tuesday are going to have to decide. Does App throw Tuthill? Does Georgia State throw Horton? Does ULM throw Barlow? You have to decide what is best for your team to get you to Wednesday. Completely agree. And that's where, that's where uh, we talked about earlier where coaches will disagree or, or come up with different reasons. And I, I am, uh, I, I'm not going to question anyone that, that does whatever they do because there are, there are too many options. So and what I will say is somebody that is known for pitching off as Mark Calvey, 2019 in Conway, everybody in the world thought that they should have thrown Drake Nightingale in that first game against ULM, but they pitched off. They lost that game to ULM and their season ended knowing that their best pitcher never threw. But Southall has done this for years in tournaments. Calvi is a guy that will pitch off. Most of the time, they've got this feeling that they're going to be in the regionals anyway. However, in 19, if you throw Nightingale, then you're probably in a lot better shape. But for them, if they would have won that game, then they've got Nightingale saved up for Georgia Southern. But as wow. it went, ULM won. Georgia Southern got Little Rock after beating the Cajuns. and things went from there but it just it just depends on what each team wants to do agree and i, I don't think there's a wrong answer necessarily so well the the, the answer that ends your season is the wrong answer but there's no way to know that <laughs> exactly exactly uh ulm georgia state uh does i mean how does georgia state approach just a, a team that was were, were they six and oh after the first weekend they were 10 and two after 12 games, but then they lost nine in a row. They go to Arkansas state. They sweep that series. And all they need to do is win. Well, it turned out that the weekend didn't go well, but they needed to win at least one to have a shot at a top six, but you run into a Texas state team. that's one of the top teams in the country at this point. Well, it's very interesting to see them uh, 10 and two. I do remember that now. And then they go uh, three and Three and 13. Yeah, three and 13 to finish the season. So in Sunbelt Conference play. Where do you see, uh, you know, I, I think it's some very interesting matchups uh, with, uh, with or on the top side of the bracket, Coastal and Georgia Southern, obviously. I think no one can doubt that those are the two top teams. But then you've got uh, Louisiana and Texas State. You also have South Alabama that's not that far behind as opposed to what Troy, you know, at, at, at you know, 15 and 15 could have been in that, that, that first day of the tournament. Do you think there's a harder part of the bracket? Well, a lot of it will depend on how the play-in round goes because you don't know who one and two are going to have to play yet. But and I'm just, I'm being honest here with, with Troy not having a fully healthy Garrett Gaines, that, that, that's a tough game for them to go against Coastal, who has been red hot for about a month now. I think the South Al and Louisiana game, game three on that Wednesday has a chance to steal that day because you've got maybe, you've probably got the best rivalry in the league playing on the first day of double elimination with a shot to get into the first part of the bracket. They have to go Boswell, even though, Calvi's known for pitching off, but 
I don't know if this is a year that they can because they've had to do things very specifically with Jeremy Lee out for the rest of the year and with Miles Smith having to go to the bullpen because of his own arm issues. To me, it's got to be Boswell, and I would imagine that it would be Tally in that first game. And then if you win, you've got Schultz going against somebody. You win, you've got a rested Jeff Wilson needing only to win once to get to Sunday. Uh, uh, there's no doubt in my, my my mind that the Cajuns pitch uh, Brandon Talley on uh, on Wednesday and then uh, Jacob Schultz on Thursday. Uh, no matter win or lose on Wednesday, I think the Cajuns come that way because then, it, like you said, every game is a must-win at that point, and you need to bring yourself into the winner's back bracket. So anything that stands out in any of the games, though, that uh, – you know, whether it's the first day with the with the four teams or the second day, day which will end up being the eight teams, anything that stands out there, I, I just think this is probably the best field that the Sun Belt has put together in a long time because you, if you go back and you look at things like, and I know RPI is not the end-all to be-all, but Georgia Southern at 10, Texas State at 26, Coastal Carolina at 28. And even the Cajuns in South Alabama at, at 59 and 65, I mean, that that's some pretty good teams coming in. No, this is as strong as the league has been in a while, and it's not just a couple of teams that are fighting out for it. you got – you've probably got five teams that make noise in a regional. But like we talked about earlier – Somebody's probably going to get upset and somebody is probably going to make a run that nobody would have given second thought to. Probably that means somebody from single elimination Tuesday. But part of the reason that makes tournament play so fun is just that you want top seeds to dominate because you want to see best on best. But the Cinderella is something that everybody deep down wants to see because you love seeing upsets. You love to see David beat Goliath. Everybody, you you just love that. That's part of what makes wait, us wait. us. That's what makes baseball baseball. Wait, can you can you tell that to the NCAA tournament? And I'm talking about basketball because the NCAA, the NCAA, and CBS think that a a number thirteen seed uh, Syracuse that's fifteen and fifteen on the year they think that's an upset. They don't realize that people want to see. Cinderella is not an ACC team. Cinderella is not a SEC team. Do you want to, do you want to know what the NCAA wants? Do you want to know? Yeah, what they Network, want money. No, Network TV wants upsets early, but they want blue bloods. Oh, I agree. Elite eight. They want upsets early because you get new fan bases, which will join the established fan bases. But ultimately, when it gets to Elite Eight time, you want to see the blue blood shine through because that's where the most money is to be made. That's exactly how that goes. So you're one of those. <laughs> I'm messing with you, man. But we're talking baseball. We're not talking basketball. Let's move on. Why do you want to keep bringing this stuff up? You know how I feel about it. No, I'm joking. But no. Um, so let me ask you this. To me, the only way the Sunbelt Conference gets four teams in is if Georgia, uh, South Alabama, and Louisiana win the tournament, and and Coastal does well, I don't think I think 
I, I think Texas State and Georgia Southern are in. No doubt in my mind. I don't care if they lose their first two games. Should be. I think that's, I think that's correct. Uh, I, I think Coastal is not – if you had a second-tier, Coastal is not quite a lock, but I think they need to, to win that first game, let's say. But I think if, they're, if, the, if, if there's going to be a fourth team in from the Sun Belt, I think it has to be South Alabama and Louisiana or Louisiana that wins the tournament. Am I wrong? No, no. The fourth team would be somebody unexpected winning the tournament. And I, I think that you're right about the top two. And granted, I know I'm, I'm one of the teams and no, it's not no, been to a regional in eight years, but it seems like the Eagles are going to get in. I'm for sure Texas State is with 44 wins. That'd be that'd be a travesty if somehow they got overlooked. And with Coastal's rush, their top 30, the RPI now, they should be pretty comfortable. They'd probably be looking at somewhere on the three line at best. But I mean, having had four teams in the tournament since 2013, I would think that the league becomes at minimum three bids going into next year when you add a Southern Miss and Old Dominion. I think Marshall's program has a chance if they can get their stadium built. They're still working on that. And then you've got James Madison, who has had one of the best prospects in the country this year, chased a lot of their outfield. I know he got hurt, so he's out for the rest of the year, but proof that they could find talent. So they'd be able to at least make a little bit of noise. But at this point, I think you're going to get your three. You might be able to snag a fourth if somebody can get hot. And that's why you got to play the tournament. You brought up Georgia Southern. And I'm, and I, I have you on because I know you're honest. And I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're not going to call out your own team to, 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 to the detriment of your fan base. But at the same time, Georgia Southern, in my opinion, is a lock. But let me it ask should, you this. It should be. Yeah. Does South Alabama or Louisiana have a chance by getting to the championship game? No, I think they need to win it. Okay, fair I enough. I think they both need to win it. So it doesn't matter if it's South Alabama or Louisiana uh, or if it's any other team that wins the tournament. Obviously, they're in. One thing I will say is that D1 Baseball did put out its projections a little bit earlier this week because it is tournament week. Some tournaments have already started. The Cajuns were in their last four outs. So maybe in their mind, if an appearance on Sunday is there, maybe that could push them up the line a little bit. But to me and knowing how things have a way of operating on championship week, you probably need to just not leave that to chance and just say, let's win the whole thing. And then let's just go ahead and get the auto bid. Well, let, let's be honest too, though. We don't know how many stolen bids are going to happen in between now and That's Sunday. Well. Right. And, and that will determine more so in my mind, uh, uh, it, you know, if everything goes chalk, let's say, I think South Alabama and Louisiana may have a uh, chance, but a little disappointing. The Cajuns lost, uh, had the opportunity to have for the first time in Sunbelt conference history, uh, four teams with 20 wins. Yeah. That, and even with three, that hasn't happened since 17. I think it's only happened two other times okay. in the history of the conference, but yeah, we went into the last week and thinking there could be four teams that win 20 league games. That would have been. It says a lot. I mean, it says a lot about your conference. Um, you know, right now the Sun Belt is two, three, four, five, six, six in the RPI. Yes. So six, six best league in RPI. So I think that's got to say something. And, and you know, and, and, and just a few minutes ago, we talked about, 
the Sun Belt with uh, with with South Alabama and Louisiana. I mean, Louisiana still. Uh, sorry, um, non-conference. Well, non-conference strength of schedule, fourteen. I did not re realize that Coastal was two, and Georgia Southern was four, and that's what this league needs to do to get to continue to be a multi-bid league. There's two parts to that. One, you've kind of got to schedule your blue bloods in the midweek. And if you're lucky, get them on a weekend schedule as strong as you can make it manageable, but schedule as strong as you can. But two, you've kind of got to hope that the teams that you play get stronger as the year goes on. And that's why Georgia Southern schedule has gotten so strong because you had multiple teams that at the time they played them were a little bit lower RPI, but William and Mary is a top 90 RPI team now. Jacksonville, UCF have been teams that have been around 70 to 100 in the RPI. Even Appalachian State, for their struggles, they've been a top 100 RPI exactly. for a good portion of the season. So even though it looks like oh, that's that's not very strong, it can become stronger if those teams handle their business. And in turn, that also helps you look a little bit better down the line. And I think that's been that's been a big bonus for Georgia Southern that isn't getting enough attention. Well, I mean... Let's face it. I mean, you guys went up to Tennessee. Wasn't the best opening no. weekend, but at the same time, it paid dividends in the long run. Yeah, and yeah, it, it, it's quite possible that there, there's a little bit of motivation from those guys. You'll never know exactly how much they still get fueled by that, but with recent projections that got put out, since Georgia Southern was listed as the last hosting team, if they would happen to go to a super, they'd be paired with the balls. I have no idea if that's going to end up happening. I, I'd I would just love for Georgia Southern to get in period and let things happen the way that they organically do. But if that's the situation, that would be an extremely tall mountain to climb, terrible pun, but something that those guys have probably thought about. You don't get, you don't often get a second chance against a team in one season, especially a non-conference team. Yeah, Danny, I will tell you, though, as a fan, there is nothing in I, – I, I'll, I'll speak for Jay and I'll speak for you. There is another, nothing better than hosting and having your team at home and, and controlling your destiny. If that happens for the Eagles, then we will we'll – be, we'll be thrilled about it. We're just – we're, we're kind of on the fence because I'll peel back the onion a little bit. Georgia Southern feels like they're going to get in. There's still motivation to win the tournament, though, because having gotten to the finals four times in five years and not winning it, and a lot of these guys have been to multiple tournaments and lost, that fuels the fire more than probably meets the eye. Being in is a bonus. Hosting would be a bigger bonus. But if business is handled this week, let that happen and let that become a storyline and let these guys enjoy something that they've worked for. Yeah. You know, I, I say that. And at the same time, there's nothing better also than, than, than taking your team to Houston and kicking a guy in the teeth. <laughs> at a, uh, there's there's something to be said for that too. I know yeah. where you're going. There is something to be said for that. Winning a regional. I'm sorry. is the best feeling there is. Well, Danny, any last words of wisdom you want to say? Uh, or you want to talk about before we end it and uh, move on to 
move on to next. Well, we'll we'll talk about next week after it happens. I'm 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 psyched that it's tournament time. I love basketball tournament time. I love baseball tournament time. Getting everybody together, and to to think that when Tuesday starts, that somebody is five days away from going to the NCAA tournament. Some teams probably know that they're in, but to know that somebody from our league is going to represent this conference in the NCAA tournament, it's a cool thing every year. The more teams we get, the better it looks, but to know that somebody is going to be there automatically is a really cool thought, and regardless of who it is, I, I can't wait to get to Sunday and see who ends up doing it. How fun is it, though, that knowing that that Top and, 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 uh, and Jay and, and Colin and and Mike Hammett and uh, a lot of the guys around the league are baseball first guys. How, how fun is that? Uh, knowing that a lot of guys in the league see things the same way and you talk about situations and how they look at things, how we look at things, how you guys look at things, and then you compare notes. It, baseball is something that guys talk about. I mean, you, you talk football, you talk basketball, but no, guys talk baseball. Guys that love baseball can talk baseball. And that's why when you've got a week together, you talk about every part of baseball that you can, and it makes it even better. It's, you know, it's that saying, I forgot who it was exactly, but it said that it's okay if you don't like baseball. It's kind of a thinking man's game anyway. So uh, that's the way I always feel about it. And that's, that's, that's my best quote. Danny, looking forward to seeing you in Montgomery. Looking forward to having a beer with you and sitting talking baseball as we did last year. Since our two teams are on the opposite side of the bracket, maybe we can have some conversations uh, during a Cajuns game and, and bring that in for our fans. Yeah, it's going to be a fun week, man. I can't wait for it. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to Danny Reed of Georgia Southern Sports Network and baseball fan. And unfortunately, his Pirates did not get a hit against my Reds last weekend and still beat the Reds. The Reds, Reds no hit the Pirates, but his team beat mine one to nothing. Raise the Jolly Roger, Craig. Raise the Jolly Roger. It's amazing how baseball does what it does. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you later on this week. Welcome into another episode of We're Talking. Today, we're talking baseball. We're talking baseball with Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. How are you doing, Danny? What's going on, buddy? Well, you know, I'm just kind of hoping Georgia Southern, well, not quite yet, has gotten all that damn hitting out of their system. <laughs> not yet, though, because I really want to see a Cajuns-Eagles finals. You know. Well, we are on separate sides, so it is a possibility. We got to go through who we got to go through. You guys have to go through who you got to go through. And it seems like there's going to be multiple teams that get into the tournament for sure. It looks like it's going to be at least two, maybe three, possibly four, if somebody else that's not expected to win the tournament does. And that would be the first time since 2013. But this, I, we were talking, Colin and I were talking about this yesterday as we were signing off. Every tournament has a way of giving you something that you never expected. And that's the fun of the whole week because everybody goes to Montgomery. They all think that, okay, what's the path to Sunday? What's the path to Sunday? Just getting there. You can't say you're going to win it, but you just have to say, how are you going to get to Sunday? 
somebody's going to get upset. There's going to be somebody that gets there that shouldn't. But how the whole week goes and the stories that we tell after it are the things that make this the best week out of the year. I, I totally agree. It's a, it's a fun time. We're going to miss a little shout out to our friend over at, at UTA. We will no, we will no longer see him uh, as a Sunbelt Conference member, but hopefully our basketball or baseball teams pass across. Shout out to Josh Sowers over, over at UTA. Going to miss the young man. Um, you know, I don't think it was until the Coastal Tournament that the, the last tournament that was at a site was at Coastal. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. I'm sorry. A Sunbelt Conference team site. Right, right. Right. That was his first one that he went to because he wasn't yeah. traveling before that. Yeah. And they had that crazy game where they walked off and then Will Olson hit a grand slam in the ninth inning, their former catcher in a game that they lost. And he got, he was way up here and then way down here. I mean, people listen to this. They can't see with the, the, the span of the gamut from, from emotions, but he got a chance to feel what a tournament was like and the way we talk about it and why we feel the way that we do, because sometimes you're, getting to a title other times you're getting knocked out or you're losing in heartbreaking fashion but having him there in 19 then again in 21 I know they got so close last year as well but uh, we talked about it right as we were going off the air that we have a lot of respect in Statesboro for the UTA program and we, we, we love Josh Josh is one of our favorite people he's an outstanding guy I absolutely think the world of him and I have ever since I met him but the program that Darren Thomas has the way that those guys conduct themselves, you feel bad because they had a really down year. They lost so much from that lineup. Decent pitching on the weekend, but just not a whole lot of depth. And I think it caught up to them. And now they at least have a chance to remake themselves when they go to the WAC next year. But that that's a program that this league will miss just because of how quality they are in not only how they conduct themselves, but the kind of people that they recruited there. Most definitely. I, I've enjoyed it over the years and uh, watched a lot of uh... – uh, ESPN plus and, and being able to listen to Josh. So, but before we move on to our tournament, let's talk about the week that just happened. Uh, you guys, I mean, I, I sorry, I'm, I didn't plan on talking about, but didn't you guys put a little butt whooping on Mercer there too? It didn't look like it until about the sixth inning down five to two, but then it ended up 21 seven had a couple of nine run innings, which you don't typically do ever in a game one nine run innings one thing but then to do it twice in three innings and especially against a team that Mercer they had won 38 games they're fighting for a regional spot as well they lost two of three at Sanford over the weekend so they're probably gonna have to win the SoCon tournament if they're gonna get in that's a team that's blessed with offense but once Georgia Southern got to some of those arms in the bullpen it, it got pretty comfortable in those late innings you know it's it's one of those things that after you do that and we kind of did that at Rice. And uh, I won't say we laid an egg at Texas State because I think we were in every ball game there. But Yeah, there were three two-run games. That's, that's not laying an egg at all. But, but do you, I mean, did you expect maybe just a little bit of a letdown when uh, UTA came to town? Yeah, you're always worried about it, especially when you're where you are and – Arlington, I mean, they were struggling. They were in the tournament, though, when they got to Statesboro. They were in 10th place by a half game over ULM. So all they needed to do was finish one game better than what ULM did this past weekend against Arkansas State. So 
ULM swept. So if Ar- Arlington would have somehow come down to Statesboro and swept, they would have been in. Yeah. But the way it worked out, ULM took care of its business. Georgia Southern helped ULM take care, take care of its business even more. So now they're in the tournament as the 10 seed. They're going to play the 7 seed, Georgia State, on Tuesday. But uh, the first game was close. Georgia Southern was never in doubt. They got up 5 nothing. They got a homer in the bottom of the eighth inning. Arlington scored three in the ninth. But from there on, you just saw the lack of pitching depth for the Mavericks this year. Once, once you get by their weekend starters, and then they got to David Moffitt, and nobody had really gotten to Moffitt this year. I mean, he has eight losses, but some of those are hard luck games. Georgia Southern got seven runs against him in two-thirds of an inning and did not see him in the final game. I thought we would because he was a senior. But I, I think that that shook them a lot because a guy that had a 1-4 ERA, I think, in conference play before that series and then just have it all kind of blow up like that, it, it was probably disheartening for them. Yeah. Um... I know you guys scored what, thirty-five runs on the weekend. Yeah, 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 30, 30, 35. Sorry, I, I know I didn't tell you there would be math in this conversation. <laughs> but yeah. and it's look, look. I know that this has been a really good stretch ever since Georgia Southern had the six days off before the Troy series. The offense has been what it has been, and I don't know if those six days were more beneficial than we realized. But you're just seeing everybody top to bottom contributing. I mean. You've had Georgia Southern seven and eight hitters, uh, Sammy Blancato and Parker Beatier. They both had eight-game RBI streaks out of the bottom two of the bottom three spots in the order. And then just lately, Noah Ledford has 12 RBIs in consecutive games. He had a grand slam in game two, seven RBIs. Then he drives in five more in the finale. Jason Swan, Christian Avant, Austin Thompson have been really consistent lately. Jarrett Brown's hit safely in seven straight. And then Jesse Sherrill at the top of the order is hitting about 600 over his last nine games. And he's probably going to be the first team all league second baseman when the awards come out tomorrow. But just to see everybody doing it at the same time, you don't know how long something like this lasts. And it's helped the pitching staff because they can be comfortable to know that, okay, if I make a mistake, you're still got, you still have enough of a lead. You'd like some of these situations to be a little bit tighter, but thankfully the offense has been to a point where the pitching has almost been able to experiment a little bit and find out what can work where maybe they wouldn't have been able to do that in another spot. Now, I have no idea what's going to happen in Montgomery. I know the weather's going to be bad. How many games we're going to play, I have no idea. But to watch the offense lately has been – it's it's brought us a lot of joy to watch them play the way that they have. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but Arkansas State, I'm sorry. First of all, so if you hear a little, I know it's still early in the evening, but usually we're, we're, we're recording this at 7 a.m. Central, and we usually don't have a bourbon in our hand, although most people think that I drink bourbon, you know, for breakfast, pour it on my Cheerios. Untrue, untrue. I know you're drinking Eagle Rare. I'm drinking a little beanball bourbon, which surprisingly is very good. And uh, and also have a uh, ZZ Top, Tres Hombres, uh, the homage to ZZ Top and, and the boys, the three. And then uh, Nulu's uh, uh, Toaster Barrel. But so if you hear a little bit, we get off the rails here a little bit, just let you know. Yes, we are having an adult beverage because we're recording at uh, 5 Central. So 
We're going to have fun today. But Arkansas State, ULM, surprised at all that ULM swept them? I, it's, it's a thing that we, we've talked about throughout the year. Arkansas State, let's face it, hasn't been very good. But at the same time, Tommy Raffo's teams does seem to, to excel at the end of the season. But this was not one of those. When they started 0-12 in league play, you know that they were going to be a little bit up against it. But then they go and take two from Little Rock. They win a series from Troy. And you're thinking, okay, maybe they're going to find a way to get in in that playing round. And also on the other side with ULM, we've spent more time than we probably should have saying, They've got the ability. They've got the ability. They've got the offense. If they can just pitch a little bit, they should be able to make some noise. And I think they finally did. Now, they had to come back multiple times to sweep that series. And I think Arkansas State had their Friday guy, Justin Medlin, bat in game two of the year, a three-run home run and a five-run first inning. So, Rafa was definitely experimenting because at that point, their postseason had been taken away from them. They weren't going to be able to get in after losing the first game. But to ULM's credit, they they hit and they pitched a little bit. And I know they're going in as the 10 seed, but they went in as the 10 seed in 2019 and won their first three games. And they were within a phantom lightning delay from probably playing for a league championship that year. So they've got a chance to knock off a Georgia State team, which they took two of three from at the start of conference play. That was at Warhawk Field. And I would anticipate that first game, that ULM Georgia State game, taking a long time because I would guess that those offenses are going to be ready to score. And they met the tournament last year, and Georgia State ended ULM's threat at going to the semis because with pool play, you had to win your pool if you were the lower seed. And ULM went in as one of the hottest teams in the league, but Georgia State beat them. So the Eagles played ULM in what turned out to be an exhibition game. But maybe this year for ULM will be a little bit different. We'll just have to see. Uh, Texas State sweeping Georgia State. I mean, Georgia State was one of the hottest teams coming into the not not into the weekend, obviously, but but the first half of uh, conference play, Georgia State was on top, on top, and we kept waiting for the other shoe to fall. Did the other shoe fall? As Georgia State, uh, they've had a couple of sweeps against them now that have not looked made them look good at all. Any surprise though? with Texas State going into Panthersville? Maybe a little bit, but uh, Texas State, <laughs> I mean, they, they've won 44 games now. Really? And I didn't notice that. I mean, did, did did they beat anybody of significance, though? I mean, how did the Cajuns do? Never mind. Well, they, they, beat, they beat Georgia Southern, Craig. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they got that last game. But, no, since those two losses to Georgia Southern, they've won 21 to 23. They've got a 10-game winning streak going into Montgomery. They've won 24 conference games. Nobody has done that since – or they won 26 league games. Nobody has done that since you guys did in the 58-win season in 2014. Pitching enough, they've got – they got the weekend rotation back. You know it's going to be Wood. It's going to be Wells. Tony Roby is back in after struggling a little bit. And Tristan Stivers has been the league's best reliever. He's got 17 saves now. I would guess that he pitches every game that they play because that's how you have to do it. How somebody is going to stop them, that's your half of the bracket, so good luck. <laughs> but <laughs> not gonna, We're not talking about that yet, Danny. Let's but, 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 but. Stay focused. Look, on the other side of it, those were three one-run games. Yeah. And Texas State had to rally to win two of those. So it was a thin line between sweeping and maybe dropping two out of three. 
But when you've got John Wuthrich with clutch hits, you've got Dalen Pena being maybe the best freshman in the league this year. Dalton Shuffield is this league's player of the year. You're going to find that out on Monday. He's going to win player of the year, leading the league in batting, doubles, runs, hits. He is going to be the player of the year in this league. With respect to Carson Rockefort, it is going to be Dalton Shuffield. No doubt. And it, he just, it just, you can't, you can't deny the fact that he's hitting almost 400. Nobody in the league has hit 400 since Ryan Scott for Little Rock did it in 2016. So he's going to be the player of the year. They have just found this recipe where if they're up, you're not going to come back on them. And if they're behind, they're going to come back to beat you. You don't go 21 and two over 23 games and not have something brewing. It's them. Georgia Southern has been really good lately. Coastal has been really good lately. I think South is on the uptick after their weekend rotation was a little bit in flux, but Texas state has a chance to have one of the most historic years in the history of this league. If they can just back things up in Montgomery this week. Agree. Uh, I'm not going to argue. I mean, I can't argue with anything you said. I do agree. Sheffield is the player of the year and uh, Rocco was, but Rocco was right there. Only one point less than him at 392 batting average. He is going to be first team all league. And yeah. I agree with Scott Prather that I do think he's going to get all American consideration. I don't think Scott was out at left field saying that I think he's going to get looked at for being an all American this year. I agree. And uh, for, for those that are worried about Rockerford leaving for an NIL deal or something like that, he's got one year left. Uh, well, he's got two years left more than likely he's going to be drafted after that next year. So um, and my guess is that going into next year, he is going to be one of the biggest prospects in the country. I, I would concur with all that. Now, to his, you know, Sheffield did play in three more games. But at the same time, you can say, yeah, he had three more games to have the more RBIs and all that. But at the same time, he also had three more games where he had at bats that had he, he had to keep up to get to that 393 batting average. So before Cajun fans start saying anything. All right, I'll, I'll give you a stat on Sheffield. All right. Jesse Sherrill for Georgia Southern is second in the league in runs scored. He has 58 of them. That, that's that's pretty good over the course of 55 games. Yeah. Sheffield has 74 runs scored. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a gap you can't even – you may need a month worth of baseball to account for that. Well, what the when you dominate need, a category that's substantially, that's well. What that's, the Cages need is somebody behind Rockefeller to hit him in. <laughs> no, I get it totally, I'm, and I'm not trying to argue with you. Uh, not, I mean, no, uh, totally agree with you. I think looking at everything, taking everything into consideration, I agree with you. And we're going to come back to freshmen though here uh, after this. And we may do three segments because I do want to talk to you a little bit about player, individual players, which I, I know we kind of diverged there and got into it. But before we, uh, before we get into all that, let's talk South Alabama, Coastal Carolina. Uh, big spreads there in the games. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, Coastal won two out of three. Any surprise here? Because South Alabama, we talked about it. I, I know you're very high on Coastal's pitching. So I'm not trying to take away anything from Coastal. I think they've, they've come on when they needed to and, and, and been played. Any surprise, though, with, with South Alabama's pitching? The way the series went, I thought that South would get a game just because I felt like they had to get a game. You, you, you can't go there and get swept end of season. You, 
just they almost did it at app last year, but they did get the final game. And that's why Georgia Southern didn't win the East last year. But you brought up the point about Coastal's pitching. Something that popped out the second game, that's usually where Michael Knorr, their 6'5, 96, 98 mile an hour fastball guy goes. He didn't make an appearance. They went with Elliott Carney out of the bullpen and it didn't go. Gave up five runs over just over an inning. South dominated that game. I have no idea whether that means that Knorr is out. He has battled some injuries earlier this year. There was a stretch, I think, for about a month where they shelved him because he's had some, he's had multiple injury issues, the transfer from Cal State Fullerton. Don't know if there's anything to that or if they're looking at maybe starting him for that Wednesday game and bumping Van Scooter. I, I have no idea what the plan is, but it is something that sticked out on the box score. The... The way the series went, I expected Coastal to win, too, and especially the finale, just offensively. They've, they've got a rhythm right now, just a lot like Georgia Southern. I think they're scoring 10 runs a game over their last 13. If it wasn't for Sheffield, Eric Brown would be first-team all-league at shortstop, and he came into the league as the league's number one overall prospect. But Sheffield, who's ahead of him in that shortstop pecking order, probably bumps him down to second team, but he still's had a great season. Tyler Johnson is the guy that's really emerged for them. He was a interstate hitter last year, and now he's up close to 400. He's better than 400 in conference play. Hitting with power, it seems you can't keep him off base. With South's pitching, though, it seems like they'd ideally want to be Boswell Smith and then Learman Booker and then Walker Johnson, whoever, after that. They do have multi-inning relievers in that bullpen. It wasn't nearly as deep as it was at this time last year but at least they have some roles identified. And then offensively, you've got Simington, who's probably going to be at minimum a second-team guy, maybe even a first-team guy, getting close to 400 for much of the year. They've got a good lineup. It is a little bit lefty-heavy. They'll take their pitches, but they don't hit with a lot of force. They don't have that guy that can give you a ton of home runs like an Ethan Wilson, like a Wells Davis, like a Caleb De La Torre. So I think that might hold them back a little bit. But at the same time, if you let them walk, you let them run, you let them score with two outs, then just like anybody else, they're going to be able to hurt you once tournament play gets here. How much of two of you do you think it affected both teams and the way they they pitching more so than hitting? I don't think in, in, in hitting it affects uh, the teams as much. But pitching after Friday night's game, you knew pretty much that the Cajuns, uh, it, you know, Unless something strange, uh, no, you pretty much knew that the, the Cajuns in South Alabama were going to be four or five. It was a matter who was going to be four and who was going to be five, though. Yeah, well, so, whether you're wearing your grays or your custards, that, that's all you got to worry about. Yeah. So, but 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 that has to affect your pitching towards the end of the game because you know, and especially for South Alabama being on the road, you don't you don't hear the boo birds like you would in Russo Park. If they weren't trying to win the game, I and and I think every team's trying to win. I'm, I don't want to mean, the, but you know what I mean. You're looking to win the tournament is your final goal, correct? Oh yeah. You're trying to get to the NCAA tournament, so at that point, your pitching staff changes a little bit. Do, do, am I missing? I mean, I'm the way I'll answer that is there are 12 teams in this league that will do things 12 different ways. Now I know we're down to 10 technically because Arlington and Ark State aren't going to be joining us in Montgomery. But everybody is going to see that lens a little bit differently, where do some guys need work? Do some guys need rest? Do we want to lengthen out somebody in case we might need a spot start? Do we want to try to slow somebody down because the pitch count's been a little bit high? 
or do we want to change the situation for somebody to say, okay, we know that you've done this, but can you do this in the case we may need you to do this by the time we get to a Friday or a Saturday, if you're lucky enough to get there. But every team has its depth, has its strengths, they have their weaknesses, and you've got to know what's what by the time you get to Montgomery. Otherwise, somebody is going to expose you and your season's going to be over. Totally agree. But I guess, do you think it's different, though, for a coach being on the road versus at home? It depends on the coach. Okay. And I mean, you could, Polar, you could talk Mark Calvi, Rodney Hennon might do two things completely different. You got Matt Daggs and Chris Curry do things totally different. And I honestly think that, think that depends on what coach you're talking about. And I also I, – I, I don't think either one would admit that it changes your game, game plan on the road versus at home. It also depends on where you are, too. If you're at the Teague, if you're at yeah. Coastal, which typically has good crowds. And I will say about Georgia Southern, it just announced a little bit earlier that J.I. Clement Stadium had its record average attendance per game this season and second biggest – year-long attended season since the park reopened in 2005. I don't know if it felt much different to teams visiting, but to know that those numbers exist shows that maybe the environment was a little bit different and part of the reason why Georgia Southern had as good of a season as it did. But I, I think that you've got 12 situations that 12 head coaches will handle the way yeah. that they feel they need to handle that. No, and, no, and understand completely, just trying to get a, a feel of your opinion. And since you've uh, kind of skated around it like a elephant on thin ice, we'll just move on to the next well, one. It will, the thing that you add to it is that you're in Montgomery this week, so everybody's on a neutral field. There may be some fan bases that attended better than others, no, but, but when it comes down to it, you're still in a ballpark that's going to be at best half full. Well, that, best. That, that was my point, though, with, with the guys coming in. I think it does change if you're on the road. If it's your last series on your road, I don't think you have to worry about your fans, whether they're going to show up for game two, two or three, because even though we have a great fan base and we announced 4,000 over 4,000, there were not 4,000 people in the stands for any one of those three games. You could probably say that for most of the 290 plus D1 teams in the country. No, 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 I get it. And and we're going to get, well, let's move on. And then we're going to come back to it in a second here. Actually, I'm going to wait till the, the second segment because I want to go back to something. Because uh, I, I want to spend the second segment. I know we didn't talk about it off the air, but I want to spend the second segment talking a little bit about individuals. Uh, some belt conference player, the, we talked a little bit about that, but I want to get into some other things. Uh, and, and again, this, this is something, though. Please, please help me talk. I will, do, fan- I will do my best. And uh, Trust me, there's been many of doctors that have told me there's no helping you, but. All right, what do you got? We're going to move. Please talk Cajun fans off the ledge. Again. I've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. Oh, you've been doing it all season, which I appreciate. But please help me talk Cajun fans off the ledge. Losing two to nothing to Hayden Arnold. I mean, I, I, they, they just see records, ERAs. That, we all know there was a reason. He was the Sunbelt Conference Pitcher of the Year last year. That doesn't always mean that you are up to that standard, but you do have the ability to live up to that standard. 
And on that stage, against a team that was still looking at it at large, to do that, that's one of the most impressive pitching performances of this season. It just, it just is. I, I will tell you, I think the game changes if uh, I think it was Heath Hood's ball that was uh, ground rule double doesn't spin off the turf and go into the Little Rock bullpen. We score a run there. Uh, but I, I think the game changes. But at the same time, it, it goes back to Coach Robe. It, you know, it was one nothing going into the sixth or seventh inning. Great and, game. And, and anybody's game at that point. But we let them score another run. I say let them, but they did their, their job. They did their job hitting the ball. It wasn't, I, I don't think any of those were off of walks or hit batters like we've, we've tended to do at times. But my point being is every team is going to make a push. You got to make your push relevant. And we did the same thing in St. Marcus, even though we were down a lot, we gave them two runs in the bottom of the seventh, take those two runs away. It, it's a tie ball game at the, at, at the end of nine. But Point being is making your push relevant. So it's been a long, uh, there's been some things that we, this weekend that uh, has, has reminded me and sent me back to coach Rowe. Okay. With Arnold, I don't think that he walked anybody. Is that right? Uh, no, I don't think he did. I don't okay. It, it's known across this league that Hayden Arnold is the best option for Little Rock. And most of the year he has been, about the only option. They've had to mix and match that rotation. They've tried McKinney, they tried Weatherly. Recently, it's been Hoss Brewer in game two. He's pitched a contact. If he's working his game, he's able to give them at least some outs. And he did that to Georgia Southern. He got the first nine outs before the Eagles could hit him. Then they finally hit him in the fourth inning. But the guy that could make the difference for them if they get a chance to show him is Michael Cavedo, the left-handed freshman, who you guys saw yesterday. And the fact that he was used for as much as he was in the final game of the season, there, there's a trust factor, I think, with Coach Curry, but there's also a thin bullpen factor because oh. with small, with Smallwood and Weatherly now in the bullpen, it's left, it's right. You know that you're going to see them at least once, if not twice a weekend. They've tried chance fought, but he has really struggled with command this year. You get down to Matthew Davis. He's been hit around a lot. The ERA is up over nine. They know the guys that they have, and they've got to use them a lot because that's what gives them the best chance to win. But once you get past Arnold, if you keep them from scoring, odds are you're going to get to their bullpen eventually, and you're going to be able to win against Little Rock. Well, uh, absolutely correct. Zero base on balls, zero hit by pitch. Uh, that's tough to when he's when you're not getting free bases. That that's tough to win against anybody. Well, and, and the other thing though, if you look at it all, which this team has done. Uh, tremendously over over this whole season is you know uh, out of the five hits he did allow only one of them was a double and like I said it was a ground rule double yeah so, so if, you, if you can't stack anything together that means you're not getting anybody in scoring position and we didn't give and we and at the the other four guys didn't have the opportunity to steal a base yeah so and that's a big part of the Cajun game as Georgia Southern saw part of the reason why you won that series yes thank you uh <laughs> was that was that enough to get you off the ledge or we... yeah i was i mean it wasn't for me so much it's the keyboard warriors that we have that like to talk shit about you and i'm sure you have them too whether it be twitter or or a message board that like like to talk crap about your own team which i'm like get off you know 
you know, look, look at the big picture here. So, well, everybody likes to think they're going to win every game, but that's just not reasonable, especially now with more parity than ever in college athletics, especially baseball. It doesn't matter how good or bad a team is. If you've got somebody that can throw strikes and you've got a defense that doesn't make any mistakes, anybody can beat anybody because all you need is one run. That's it. Well, we'll go back to uh, the 2014 team. Lost the first game of a regional, one to nothing to Jackson State. The, the, the kid pitches uh, unbelievable. He, I don't think he threw over 87 miles an hour. But uh, it works. Sometimes it works. Yeah. Well, Danny, let's take our break. Let's come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some Sunbelt honors. But I want to mention a couple of guys um, that, that we had. And maybe you're, what, your weekend was senior weekend as well. Hopefully the weather didn't screw that up. And let's talk about some of your guys as well that may be graduating. Uh, you're listening to We're Talking with Craig Malonso and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. We'll be right back after this brief timeout. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due. 